You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. This week, we've got another massive hitter in the industry. He shapes, literally shapes, the city we live in. It is Cole Dutton, GM of WA Residential Stockland. Big company, big position, a lot of responsibility, Cole. Thank you for coming in. Mate, thanks for the introduction. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Not only are you the GM, you're also president of UDIA. We had Tanya Steinbeck, the CEO of UDIA, WA in a couple of months ago. I guess you interface with her quite a lot. And as president, there's a lot of work you do around helping people understand the development space, a lot of advocacy in property development as well with the government. Does that keep you busy too? Yeah, definitely. But well supported by Tanya and her team. And also there's a UDA council that was involved and also a whole committee structure of membership that actually feeds into that. So it's a really good organisation. The mix of membership is from right across the board, including government in regard to the UDAA. So it's a good purpose and a good structure to help advocate and help lead an industry. I'm a big fan of the organisation and you spend a lot of time as well, given Stockland doesn't just do land development, they also own a lot of assets, shopping centres, things like that with the Property Council of Australia as well. Yeah, so we're involved in the Property Council as well, not me personally, but certainly Stockland's a diversified property company and the PCA is probably a bit of a broader church that is involved in industrial, commercial properties such as retail, office buildings, logistics. UDA is probably more focused on the residential and, and front-end planning side of things. So between those two, we've got really good presence here in, in WA. We will spend a lot of time talking about stock land, talking about land development, talking about the planning system, ways to solve our housing shortage crisis in Western Australia. But first, as we do with our big hitters, we talk about you. <laughs> Yep. Uh, we go right back to when you were a little nipper over on the other side of the country. You're a Queenslander. Another Queenslander in Western Australia shaping West Australian property. Yeah, yeah. I came to WA about 11 years ago, but certainly I grew up in, in a Brisbane in the 60s and 70s and uh, moved to the Gold Coast in the 90s. What was the Gold Coast like in the 90s compared to now? Fairly similar. Obviously not as many uh, high-rise, coastal high-rises, but certainly uh, and, and a high growth. I worked actually in the Gold Coast Council there for about five years in a development assessment and it was the highest growth rate in Australia at the time and the corridor between Brisbane and Gold Coast was full on going flat out. Still is these days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's certainly more, I suppose, concentrated. A lot of the Gold Coast is filled up, if you like, from a, a land and house perspective. But certainly the coastal strip is certainly, I was over there last week actually, the coastal strip is continuing to have an enormous amount of development. And look, I want to talk about you personally. Let's not forget to go back to that. But isn't it interesting to see the dichotomy, the Gold Coast with your 20, 30, 40 story apartment buildings and the strip between that and, and Brisbane. And then you see Hall's Head, two stories, one and a half, <laughs> two stories, Scarborough, you've got Rendezvous and Beach Shack now. What's the difference culturally? Why do we have such a different oh. cultural uh, opinion on height here in Western Australia, especially when it comes to our best views being next to the ocean. Yeah, actually, when I first landed in Perth, trying to work out where I was going to live, the first thing that struck, besides the, the natural beauty of Perth, like the, the waterways, the open space, the beaches, the first thing that struck me really was the suburban feel to it. I ended up living in City Beach and Wembley Downs, but it felt like the city had grown up off the river 
and it became more and more suburban as you headed towards the beach and it was kind of the opposite to my life on the on the Gold Coast where I was you know living in a 400 square meter block right near the beach and all the activity was around the beach mm. and I realized the Gold Coast is different weather wise and climate wise but certainly just felt the, the immediate impact from a property person I just it felt very the underlay if you like felt very suburban when I first arrived. Look, we've had years since and still it seems like that culture is still very anti-height. I feel like a lot of our housing supply problems could have been fixed if we just did away with height restrictions decades ago and allowed supply to move where demand is and provide as many West Australians as possible with some of the best Mm. views in the world. Mm. Instead, we're in the situation we're in now. I remember when I first landed, actually, I went to the museum with my kids and it was in the surveying section. And I remember it saying uh, there was a section there in the museum that said Perth isn't like the, you know, the terrace housing of Sydney and Melbourne. We're more suburban and uh, we're really proud of that. And at that time, I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting, like (laughs) entering the the market over here. But felt it more and more as I've gone along. But certainly, I think we're on the journey now in regard to understanding how important it is to be able to develop around nodes and around areas with transport linkages and everything else. Let's get you back to the Gold Coast. Okay. How old were you there when you moved to the Gold Coast? 20, yeah. And what were you doing? I actually dropped out of uni about a, a year or so in. Wanted to be a rugby league star. I want to be, if you know Mel Meninga, he's an yeah. Australian coach. I want to be his centre partner. Were you any good? No, nah, not good enough. <laughs> um, but I played after school for a few years. I think I got injured and then went back into uni part-time. So I went back in, I was doing engineering, and I went back in part-time as a technician sort of thing, an associate diploma, and then continued on with the degree. So I was studying part-time and working for Brisbane City Council, actually, in an engineering role uh, for about, I studied for nine years part-time. So it was, it was all a bit full on. And what was the focus? Built form engineering? Nah, civil. So it was okay. construction, construction, maintenance. I got to basically work in every depot around Brisbane and bridges and drainage and roads and all that. Well, it gets you around. I enjoyed it, actually. I really enjoyed the engineering side of it. I actually uh, popped out of Brisbane Council and went to the state government for a little bit as a coastal engineer. I lived by the coast and I really enjoyed the difference in that. But I quickly found out it didn't quite fit me in regard to it was too kind of slow moving and research sort of orientated mm. than what I thought it was going to be. Yep. So I went back into Brisbane City Council in a development role, in development assessment role. And that's where I kind of went, ooh, what I've been missing out on. That's where it kind of tweaked my want for... Um, I guess much more dynamic, more interesting projects, numbers, architecture, all this stuff starts to come up. Can I digress again? How does that Brisbane development assessment environment differ to what we experience here in Western Australia? Yeah. Now, Brisbane's been one council, one city. Um, we've got 32 here in Perth, I think it is. Been one city for almost 100 years. So hang on, let's just make that clear. Instead of 30 cities, which Perth has... It's one council. Yep. It's been like that. Like I think it's 1924, something like that. But certainly it works. It certainly works. And it's good quality decision makers. Over here in, in Perth, a lot of the state government gets involved in a lot of decisions as they need to. Well, it has to, right? It has to. Should it have to? I think to get a consistent approach in the framework that we have, it's the only way mm. it can happen appropriately. Yep. Brisbane takes on more responsibility from a planning. It obviously still sits under the state government's framework, but certainly takes on a lot more responsibility in setting a future for Brisbane. It's not like everything becomes homogeneous. They actually um, really value the different villages that Brisbane were and how it pulls out those planning requirements within the villages. But it's certainly been hugely successful. The livability of Brisbane and the way they've progressed over the last probably 20 or 30 years is renowned across the planning world. Obviously, from a geographic 
geographical perspective, a lot easier to pull people from Sydney and Melbourne where most of the population is yeah. to get them up there. But I look at it and go, well, geez, you've got a lot more efficiency, it seems, in getting things done, a lot less of an issue with height and with large format developments if demand requires it because supply never happens unless there's demand. Let's be frank about that. And you've also got the Olympics in Brisbane happening at 10 years from now too, right? So that it seems like Brisbane is heading towards the same crescendo that Sydney did back in the year 2000. Mm. Uh, had a you know big hangover Sydney after that for about a decade. But, geez, the decade before that was an exciting time. Yeah. You're in Western Australia. Are you still happy here? Yeah, no, I, and I'm fortunate enough to get around the other states through my Stockland hat. And certainly Brisbane have got a buzz going on at the moment in regard to the Olympics, and we're, we're still... 10 years out mm. so and th- there will be a really coordinated approach to that infrastructure and there'll be a legacy left similar to sydney in regard to the infrastructure and provisions for the olympics so it's an exciting time and it is easier in regard to the population transfer up going north how do you get out of the government i actually worked for tweed council which was a kind of urban rural just over the border in new south wales and then i i took a job there's a super council created on the gold coast they called it the Super Council back in 1995. I worked there for five years again in all the hustle and bustle of a growth corridor. I looked after all the land and environmental approvals, so I was right into it. But I met Stockland. Actually, I was president of the surf club over there, and I met Stockland. They were sponsoring our surf boat. So I got to meet the guys in Stockland at the time. And they were doing a land development around Yeah, around yeah, they are doing a, a big one, Pacific Pines it was called, on the northern Gold Coast. I came on board as a project director of that one project and over the next five years or so we went and bought probably another five projects and I was the first employee on the Gold Coast of Stockland and we ended up with about a team of 30 as we bought projects. So you essentially built a team under you? Yeah. yeah it's it pretty really, exciting. It was really good actually. It was kind of going from government it's a really important part as it is all the development assessment stuff but certainly having a great team building a team and picking your own team and, uh, and I picked a number of government people and everything else but certainly that was a really good experience um, jumping into the the whole spectrum of what is property um, from understanding the customers and the catchment all the way through to the right product and marketing and selling and communities. So how old were you at this point in time? About 40. So most of your career up to that point was government working in various levels of government and then you've transitioned into Stockland in your 30s to then head up uh, a regional team essentially. Yeah, yeah. So I looked after, I was in Stockland for about 10, in Queensland for about 10 years. So I've been with Stockland 21 years, 10 years in Gold Coast and I was part of the Queensland leadership. I also looked after North Queensland there for a while as well. Certainly that whole experience in Queensland through the 2000s had a real surge in regard to, there was a big migration or interstate migration from uh, Victoria into Queensland in the mid 2000s, and that really, uh, it really had a real surge. Well, it makes a big impact on the viability and the success of a company like Stockland because you don't sell land, you don't sell apartments, you don't develop and hold shopping centres, which sit on land obviously without people to buy these products, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're a pretty useless company, aren't you? Yeah, and we definitely follow population. Economy and population sets the market. Understanding the different states and regions is all part of it, trying to get a feel, all that data and how you make sense of it. Join the dots, if you like, to actually make the right decisions. How did you get convinced to come across to the 
Lonely um, city of Perth. I suppose I was just looking, and I was pretty entrenched in the Gold Coast. It doesn't sound like you had many reasons to leave at the time. I wanted more in a leadership position, and I wanted to learn more. And I thought it was a fairly big call, particularly bringing a family over, young kids, starting a new city where I didn't really know anyone. We'd just bought a couple of projects in the Northeast Corridor, Vale and Whiteman. Basically, the volume of the business, as in sales, was going to double, and the team was going to be similar in size. Mm. I think I was confident because I'd done a similar thing with the Gold Coast team, but I was coming into an existing team over here. Their own processes, their own culture. Yeah. And the systems, you know, planning environment, you have to relearn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, I, I enjoy learning. I continue to enjoy learning and, you know, having a go at you still learning? different things. Oh, definitely. And not just mechanics and processes or whatever, but certainly in regard to leadership and teams and staying on the ball and trying to understand you know, the housing supply or the housing discussion at the moment, it's morphing quite quickly, I think. And that's that's a learning space. I think we as an industry need to, to learn and help influence it. It's so dynamic at the moment. Before we move off to Stockland, I would like to have, a, I guess, a more direct question to you or start to think about the 20-year-old, the 25-year-old in a junior planning or valuations or development yep. management position. What were the critical steps to getting to the top of your game, getting into the top of the game in Western Australia when it comes to property development. For Nathan, it was loyalty to his company It was and it was delivering. For me, the purpose of Stockland, uh, the purpose is a big word and I think it just aligned with what, what I felt good about, creating things, being part of a team, being empowered to make decisions and getting on with it. So it felt right. Obviously, I was very statutory planning, sort of development assessment focused prior to that. And it's a really important part, but the wider industry and understanding how it all fits together. I remember when I was a few weeks in having joined Stockland, I remember sitting out in the project with all these big yellow trucks moving. Th- and it just it was, it was, felt like a little boy again. Yeah, overwhelming. Would yeah, it was like. What have I got into? Yeah, you know, it's like I was a little, you know, seven year old under the mango tree doing matchbox cars, cracking cities, which I used to do. Yeah. So it was just at a bigger scale. So it was like. To me, keep an eye out for your passion. Make sure you're on purpose or who you work for aligns with your purpose. And I think Stockland, that kind of clicked with me from day one. Well, you know, a few weeks in, I thought, yep, I made the right decision here and kept going. So the quicker you can align your work with what you feel your purpose is, it makes life and work a lot easier and makes succeeding a lot easier. I think it's self-awareness mm. as well. Like, make sure when you, you feel passionate about something, make sure you, you voice it and you identify it. And yeah, be genuine. For me, you don't try and be something you're not. Work out where you're heading personally and also how to lead properly. Well, also, I think you still have to deliver. At the end of the day, you didn't just go from working in Brisbane Council and one day you were leading a massive team at Stockland or leading a state division at Stockland. You had to deliver on projects in between oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, you've got to be results orientated. Mm-hmm. Um, Make your boss money. Well, definitely. To me, there's kind of three parts to it. There's the delivering, the results orientated, make sure you do that appropriately. The stakeholder stuff, both internally within the company, but also externally with the politicians, departments, state government departments and others. And then there's the people sort of leadership part. Make sure you're concentrating on making sure you've got a good team and got the right people and you're leading them. So what's your day-to-day? What does the day-to-day look like for the GM of Stockland and WA? There's probably three phases to it. There's very much an operational phase in regard to the projects that you have operational, ones you're about to launch, and the longer-term ones, the pipeline ones that you're trying to get ready for the next few years. So making sure your projects are ticking along every day? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Putting out fires? 
we very much focus on uh, ownership at the project level. So hopefully the likes of me are just tapping them along in the right direction mm. rather than putting out too many fires. Yourself, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you kind of dive in and dive out. But certainly that's, to me, the beauty of our structure is having, I have a kind of a leadership group that I heavily rely on. But all at the project level, we have the development managers, the project managers, the marketing, the sales, uh, the community relations people that really drive the project. And I, that's where you, you win and lose at the mm. project level. So it's that, and also, I suppose, buying into the future, more strategic view of where you buy, what you buy, what types of products will go into that project is constant. Mm. Product continues to, to change and evolve and staying in front of that. So that's the first phase of your day? Yep. There's a wider Stockland focus and strategy in regard to where Stockland is heading, and I'm the state GM. My responsibility is to make sure, well, I understand it, and contribute and influence, but also make sure my team gets a legible read on that and feel part of something bigger. So that interstate, if you like, interaction, and I'm involved in one particular group with all the development managers across Australia with the leadership team to make sure we have an, a, we understand it consistently, the, the way we do business, and uh, head up that team and chair that team to actually continue to have an excellent operational phase, but also look for innovation as well. So it's that's a my uh, second one, and probably so the, driving the vision. Is that what you summarise? Driving like the that? vision, but also it's at a very operational level, if you like, in regard to getting a consistent approach and making sure we learn off each other, rather mm-hmm. than just having you know pockets of brilliance in different states. How do we actually pull that around the other states? And then the third one's probably the UDA stuff at the moment. Going into my fourth year in UDA, and it, it is, to me, a bit of a, if you like, I know it intersects with work, but it's a bit of a community give in regard to how do we continue to improve and make things better for the industry and, in the end, for the results of creating communities or within communities. So it's really valuable. Well, there you go. Everyone listening can get an understanding of what Cold Art in this day looks like. <laughs> let's move into Stockland itself. And let's talk about the projects you guys are doing. Let's talk about land development. Let's talk. I, th- I want to focus on that, I think, more so than the yep. asset management side of things because yeah, it's yeah, yeah. way less interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but look, you've got some big communities. You've had them pushing for obviously quite a few years now. You've talked about when you jumped into WA, you were dealing with Whiteman's Edge and, and Vale. How has that progressed over time? You're in Haynes, you're up near Alchemos. It looks like in every fringe land development, Stockland is a part of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Perth, if you look across, there's about probably 24 or 25 corridors in Australia that we focus on. And it's really, like I said before, following the people. Perth has four growth corridors and then the central area. So I suppose over the last 10 years, and we continue to have projects in every, each of the corridors, the diagonals of the compass, if you like, northeast, northwest, etc. Yep. So that's been our greenfield. Uh, and I think we've been fortunate enough to be able to buy large projects where you actually set the way forward through the, the master planning and also create identity of projects. So that's a great thing about Stockland, be able to do that with its capital and its strength, capital strength. These projects are generational, right? It's not something where you start it this week and then in two years' time you're cashing out. These are 10, 20 year projects, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's a long game. Yeah, it's hard like. to get cl- staff to buy into things that they may not be seeing through to the end. No, no. And and part of the, the way to do it is ensure that the team aren't just relating to a single project. They, they're a relate- stage based. Yeah, yeah. But also, they relate to the, the way you're doing things across the board. So, mm-hmm. 
It's definitely gone from, and we've got five active projects at the moment. Our latest, uh, I suppose, launched from a couple of years ago was Canopy, which is, it's a green tidal, medium density sort of project at Glendalow. That's the one that I'm most excited with. I would love to talk to you about that because it really talks to where I think Stockland as a company should be going like every other land developer. You're starting to build some real competencies. Uh, Canopy is a big urban infill project. It's $77 million project. You're providing only 97 lots compared to the 2,500 that uh, Amberton Beach provides. So I know it's a lot more niche. It's harder to scale for you guys. It's mm. harder to acquire. It's more expensive to acquire in ways, certainly per lot. But do you feel like you cut your teeth on that? Is it, is it, is it a oh. successful project? Is it one that you guys want to do more of? Oh, definitely. Yes, it is a successful project. It's going through the teeth of the construction hump of the moment, trying to get through finishing it Uh, certainly if sold very well and we bought well and it's an example of things we want to do in the future we've actually got another one close to announcement as well which is probably double the size of canopy that's an infill um infill fantastic Um, a a general region you can maybe give us a little bit insight uh, into south of the river fantastic (laughs) yeah good all right but certainly they're exciting projects and canopy from day one going through all the acquisition assumptions and and the stakeholder engagement sterling in the end were excellent in regard to I think they, they got what we were going to do. I think the owners who were the little sisters of the poor, which owned the, yeah. I think it's aged care next door, they basically sold up half their site to fund the new development. But certainly it's really good when you when you buy well and you've got a good reason, a good strategy in regard to the project. We bought it off market. It had been, I think it had been on market previously and people were focusing on an apartment outcome. We thought its location within the community adjacent to Lake Munga, the retail train station 600 metres down the road just made sense that a lower density, but you know, two and three storey product and two and three, four bedroom product would just work. It sat right between Mount Hawthorne and Wembley, and Glendalow, you know, had a bit of a mixed reputation, I suppose, because of a different product in there. Good way of saying pretty of a negative reputation. It's, it's old flat central, right? Because the old yeah. BGC flats through Glendalow, and they were pretty low socioeconomic, which stands out like, like dog's balls, really, because you look at the rest of the suburbs around there. You've mentioned them, Mount Hawthorne, you've got um, Wembley, West Leederville. These are pretty affluent suburbs, and then you've just got this stain on the area yeah. and you, you, what you've done there is you're rejuvenating it bringing a brand new segment into the market yeah yeah and it was big enough to do that 2.7 hectares 97 terrace housing and another but also glendalow like you said i think half the product in glendalow is either flats or old flats or whatever mm. but certainly the location at glendalow we're confident part of the problem is we're trying to price our new product mm. it was nothing you can't compare you, you become a price yep. maker rather than a price so that taker. was the, that was nervous part of it but um, yeah, sold well. really happy. Yeah, it's all but sold uh, the first three stages. And we've got a fourth stage coming up. Well, look, out. people can drive past and see it. You, yeah. you can't miss it, right? There's, it's quite a bulk of seeing all these townhouses running through off its power street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you really, if anyone listening, you want to see this development from Stockland, I highly recommend having a drive past and a drive through. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the Perry Lakes development that was done in Florida a few years ago. Another, just providing that median density townhouse, missing middle, they call it to the inner ring of Perth yeah and that's what I touched on before about Perth being so suburban there's not many opportunities and I think the latest census even showed that Perth's got the lowest growth of townhouse type product mm. compared to the other states it's is that because we're still stuck with single story land developments 40ks from Perth well I think that's out of necessity in regard to and people call it sprawl Perth has some of the best greenfield I, I, sprawl kind of 
for me means it's disorganized and mm. it's actually Perth has some of the best developers and builders in Australia and some of the best examples of actually doing density well providing product choice within those master plan communities so to me if we can reflect some of the great work we're doing in the green fields and bring it to the central region and the infill the missing middle and that's what i suppose what part of our philosophy is How well that's we what i'd love to see mm. stockland do right you've clearly got fantastic capabilities as well as your competitors there's fantastic capabilities in master planning communities mm. in providing good product in delivering projects and not going broke it takes a real company to, to be there decades later and still provide this I just wish you guys would do it a little closer to the city and not on the fringes, not pushing out that next kilometre of services, mm. sewerage, piping, the next mm. school, the next police station, all that taxpayer money. When Wouldn't you prefer coming from the Gold Coast to see a Perth that looked a little more like Brisbane or the Gold Coast and a little less oh, like definitely. the most, most sprawled city in the world? Yeah, definitely. And that's it's a state government's strategy. It's ours as well. Mm. So... It's how you get that opportunity, like in the greenfield locations, we're the master planner, if you like, and we don't have any ratepayers around us. We mm. actually set it up well, the retail, the central, the schools. And when we sell it, we tell people where things are going to be. I suppose it's uh, more difficult in the infill areas because you have to deal with how do you fit it in appropriately in an existing community. That is the issue, and the, the, the system is set up to make it so much easier to deliver housing solutions, which is why the building grants were the solutions two years ago in Greenfield's locations, because you can just get on, roll through a few hectares and provide supply as fast as possible. Whereas that is inherently the issue with West Australia's planning system in that it prejudices so far against infill, which is the the proper solution, I think, to our problems, that it's just easier to band-aid it again with another estate, create another train station further down the line past Byford. Yeah, I think you need both. I think you need choice. Not everyone can afford, and, and Perth is the most affordable at this point in time yeah. of all the capital cities, all the main capital cities. I think you need a, bo- a choice of both. Housing choice within the community and housing choice within the newer communities are really what we should be focusing on. You need that choice. The state governments and not just the existing state government in the past have really provided good support to first home buyers through the key start loans and everything else. I'd hate to think we were where we'd be today if we hadn't had that support in in the past. Oh, there's, there is a clear connection between the existence of first homeowner grants for new builds, the key start product, which essentially facilitates the financing of most of these land estates as a basis, and the success of some of the biggest builders in this state and some of the biggest land developers. Without the first homeowner's grant, and Keystart facilitating this, you're right, we wouldn't have Byford, we wouldn't have Alchemist, we wouldn't have Ellenbrook, mm. these uh, situations. But I also then would play devil's advocate and wonder, well, what, what would we have? Would it have forced us towards more density, more height, rather than the easier solution of the master plan to state? Yeah, I, and I think the infill and the missing middle, if you like, in regard to providing the likes of canopy around the place is a difficult one to do just because that I mentioned a suburban underlay if mm. you like how you manage the front end of all that how you get the approvals how you get the purchase and the approvals at the front end and I think the complexity is in Perth that the interaction at the local authority level or the city level 
is less than ideal, as we know. Yeah, well, let's segue um, into it. Let's talk about how do we, you know, we've spoken a little bit about Stockland, but let's talk about how to make Stockland's job a little easier because you are one of the biggest proponents. If we had a few weapons or a few tools in our belt, a few bullets in the gun on how to actually fix this problem, you'd be yep. going straight to your big developers to be able to solve this housing problem. What would make your life easier yeah, to solve think, this problem? Yeah, I think the number one thing, and First of all, I have to acknowledge the existing, well, the, the Premier, but also the, the two existing ministers involved. They, um, Rita Safiotti and John Kerry are excellent. They are. They yeah. got, they've got the... They get things done. ...intent. They've got the strategic outlook. And the, besides housing, it's also the coordination of infrastructure around it and how we do that. For me, the issue is in how do you get the front end in a timely fashion and actually execute... So it's about how do we actually corral smarts of industry and government to have a more timely and certain outcome through the front end of planning and obviously the approvals through the various state government departments as well. So it's not super hard for you to acquire the land, I assume. It's not a big problem. Oh. You can, you, you're solving those problems. You have been for decades. It is what it is. That's a commercial environment. But once you get past that, it's how long does it take to actually make these to, these purchases commercial and bring product to the world? Or the assumptions you're making prior to purchase. How do we about, tighten those up? Yeah, how do you make the timeliness and the outcomes and the assumptions that the likes of Stockland make, how do you make them more efficient and legible through the system? How do we coordinate the various parts of government to have a reasonable relevant outcome quickly? Well, tell us. Well, to me, and again, Rita Safiotti is onto it, and she announced a few weeks ago regarding having a referral coordination. So that, to me, is a structural innovation to help decision makers come to a timely outcome. But to me, it's also cultural. Cultural doesn't cost a cent mm. if you get it right. So to me, it's how do we actually make? And I was a, if you like, a yeah, you've been planner. there. Yeah. So how do you actually make the people involved in this? feel part of something bigger because we, we are this is amazing bigger. Cole I, I cannot believe you just said that last week Ross Manette was on here talking about how do we get planners in a local government area to feel like they're on the same team as the developer mm. moving towards the same outcome rather than being a gatekeeper stopping people walk through the gate because there's somehow some yeah. misalignment between goals how do we get the goals of the local government planners to be the same as the goals of the developers yeah we shape it in the right way but we're all the second that application is lodged we're all part of the same team mm. i know it sounds why why do we have to talk about this mystical but yeah. <laughs> it is like you know we all are either creating new communities on the fringes like you said or we're actually creating within existing communities and trying to improve those existing communities mm. why can't we all have that that's my purpose i'm part of that well, you're right it's a cultural thing right yeah. because look you come up through that system yourself whether you're a planner working in local government or a planner working for a consulting firm or you're a developer everyone would have gone through university super excited about helping to build communities mm. however somehow the culture has changed over time where the people who work in development and in consulting they've still got that passion they're still excited about it but the people in local government on the planning side seem to have either lost yeah. that or are too scared to make decisions are too scared to be brave about getting outcomes there are just as many good as there are frustrating i think because of who essentially who's paying the bills and that's the council and most councils especially in an urban infill situation uh, not too progressive when it comes to providing more housing supply not in my backyard yeah. thank you yeah yeah and i think frustration is probably the number one emotion that comes to me i know the government the community 
the likes of us, the, the developers, we can do better. Mm. That, that's the bit that frustrates me the most. We can actually set a better path, but it comes down to individuals and their leaders and the leaders themselves, including me, to actually help mould that. And it's, I think it's a never-ending... I think the UDA, for example, I think it's 50 years this year in WA. It's a constant grind, and surely we can change it. How long does it take? Let's just put it on the table here. Let's say you've just bought... 30 hectares somewhere, right? It's enough to create a bit of an, uh, a suburb, uh, get things moving at least. Uh, from the day that you paid that first deposit, how long would it take to break dirt and, and start putting down your first services? Yeah, it depends on the issues on the piece of dirt and what you've bought it on, but I'll easily say it'd be at least four or five years. People will be shaking their heads right now at that, Yeah, yeah. And What's that- most of that time frame made out of? Uh, it's definitely the front end planning and coordination of the higher order approvals. I think all the way through, we have our own commercial lens on it in regard to have we got this right? You know, who are the customers going to... We identify the various suburbs across Perth who's going to come to this particular project. So we're doing a lot of work in the background identifying who we think the customer would be. We're mm-hmm. doing a lot of work in regard to delivering product and a diversity and choice of product within those so there's a lot of commercial considerations going on, but definitely the most fr- most frustrating is the time, I think. The time and also a legible, reasonable approach. And that's what I'm saying, we can do better. I think I, I learnt jumping from government into property that they're only one small part of it, but a really important part of it mm. that can actually delay and lose money because of the, the delay and the lack of legibility in regard to decision-making. That's right. Yeah, well, time is money and uh, lack of efficiency is money, risk is money, all those things. And what it does is we need to make it clear because it's such a, an efficient market, whilst all companies would try and make the largest profit as possible, it's, it's, it's not the most fantastic return on equity a lot of the time being in land development. You make what you can to move on to the next project a lot of the times. But the one thing that would help bring down cost of land is time, right? Because time is money. 100%. The interest costs, IRR, if you could half the time on planning, you could take an extra 10% off the cost because you could move on to yeah. the next project. You wouldn't be building in the millions of dollars in interest or, or cost of capital to get. That's a fact. We talk about local government, but I also want to talk about stakeholders outside of local government. Perfect example, and I'm a hundredth in size of the development that that you guys do, Cole, but we've got a, a couple of hectare infill development in the city of Mandra, it's the last block left essentially in the suburb. We don't even need a transformer or to deliver power, although it was an option we looked at. But we moved away from looking at that option because one, it takes 300 days to get a transformer into this state right now, uh, just to power the 36 lots we're developing. But two, just to get an approval on the plan we've got, it will take six months. So what we're doing, and I know a number of developers are in the same position, we're gonna spend the next four months completing the development of this site, I'm probably going to sit there waiting for two months longer to get approval for the development we just built. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Yeah, yeah. The whole construction hump of activity, for want of a better word, at the moment is impacting us all. But I think, if nothing else, we should learn from the last couple of years and, and have a, a more coordinated approach to um, both infrastructure and housing, if you like, for a, a broader housing term, in regard to how do we approach it and the, the example you gave is one of those, uh, the Western Power Transformer. We need to make sure that we've got more foresight in regard to the way we coordinate our infrastructure 
and have enough float, if you like, in regard to providing it. In the last couple of years, you talk about learning before. There's a lot of learning to go on from the last couple of years. Well, let's look at, again, cost to delivery. A big part of developments these days, and what has been for the last 30 or 40 years, is the way that we provide flat blocks. How do you provide a flat block? You provide limestone retaining. Mm. And who has bought every single block in Western Australia right now? It's the state government with Metronet. What that's done is pretty much double the cost of retaining Mm. and sand in Western Australia. That must make delivery of your products more expensive. Yeah, it's certainly the infra- infrastructure spend has dwarfed the the land, if you like, land development or lot development spend. And that intersection, and that's a good example, the, the limestone blocks, is the choke point at the moment just because of supply. So it's a local supply, throw in all the builder supply issues, uh, which is more national and international. That one limestone is a local choke, if you like, in regard to getting on with uh, land development to mm-hmm. provide for the housing so it's things like that. How, how do we have a more coordinated approach to that alternate materials and quickly allow alternate materials to make up the gap, if you like? All it's leading to, I think, is a generational change because like we had 10, 15 years ago, this is going to be the new cost to deliver property, to deliver land, to deliver apartments, townhouses. We've hit a new norm, just like we did back in 2010 when a 4 by 2 could be turnkey built for 150 now it's 350 it's insane to think Cole. but what that does in an a- any asset class when the replacement cost increases the natural value of that asset generally mm. incre- increases as well housing is just going to get more and more expensive isn't it over the years i do think we're going through a, a real peak in cost of housing for example at the moment like looking across states we in the last two years have been in the you know, mid 40 percent in in house construction increase yeah. over the two years whereas in a state it's been like low 20 percent and i think we the whole of australia went through the materials you know most of the materials shortage but certainly the isolated nature in regard to us at capacity now supply chains yeah supply chains but also labor yep. trades and everything has really impacted us we're working through it now certainly how do you get that coordinated approach into the future how do you provide for a longer-term view in regard to bringing on the, the apprentices and the trades. and um, Let's not get caught again, essentially, like we have. Yeah. Let's segue into a term you spoke to me about before we went to air today, the housing continuum. Yep. What's Stockland doing to assist in providing alternative options to people other than ownership, renting, or homelessness? So the housing continuum for me, and it's one that this state government actually identified a number of years ago and is used, it's not used consistently across Australia, but certainly it's one that people are gravitating to federally now. But it's basically from homelessness, social housing, emergency housing, social housing, rental, shed equity, land lease is one that Stockland's into, but also straight into the the private uh, build-to-sell market. So it goes through the whole thing from apartments um, Across all housing, different options. The yeah. whole bit. So I suppose the number one thing Stockland is doing, and I think the industry is becoming better at, is taking a holistic view of the housing continuum and making sure we understand what the supply is to each of those parts of the housing continuum. So yes, a lot of the government-supported supply, at the, if you like, the bottom of the housing continuum, is basically straight government spend with some community housing, housing providers. Yeah. yeah, and some community housing providers get involved in social housing and, and managing it or managing their own book. But certainly moving up into the private, uh, the built to sell, in between there's the rental market, there's the build the rent, 
both vertical and horizontal. Stockland and a number of other players are doing land lease communities where we continue to own the land and sell the house on top of it, which produces a new affordable price, more affordable price point. Is this, are we going to see this in Western Australia? Yeah, definitely. There's already examples in Western Australia and I suppose you'll see, I think you'll see more public companies like Stockland getting involved in it, probably to a 50 plus type customer. Like a lifestyle village. Lifestyle village, good span, good good quality. There's a number of older ones around the place, but certainly from Stockland's perspective, it's providing good amenity, spending you know, 10, 12 million on a central facility. It's a downgrader option. Normally the purchaser comes in with equity, having downsized from their home. And I looked at this at the census the other day in a presentation. Perth's got the most four-bedroom product in Australia. Yeah, no surprises there. It's like 47% compared to, I think, the average at like high 20s. So there's people sitting on big houses. With um, empty bedrooms. And we're underutilising the property that we have. We, you know, we the community, are sitting on all this. You know, we talk about, you know, housing crisis and everything else. How do we actually... How do we optimise it? How do yeah, we utilise yeah. more of that roof space? It's, it's giving yeah. them options to move into and also, obviously, the, the hurdle of stamp duty is a huge one. So could we see a situation, and this might be a silly question, but Stockland provide a master plan community and on the one street we've got two blocks of land that have been sold as blocks of land, a couple of blocks of land that have been sold as house and land packages, a build to rent, a land lease, all on the same street. Is it that, is that ever going to be possible? To see that level of variety, or will they be more like villages or I think a lifestyle it'll be, village? It'll be more of this? villages within a master plan community. I don't know about the same street, unless it's a long street. But yeah. um, <laughs> but what you just described, I think, is where we're heading. And I think the likes of Stockland, we're definitely looking at how we help the housing focus and and right across the board from apartments all the way through to shared equity, uh, land lease communities, and obviously rental solutions as well, in addition to the build the sell stuff. We're talking about Stockland as a business becoming much more involved in delivering outcomes than they have been before to solve these problems, and, and I guess your competitors as well. The last thing I would want to talk about, I guess, is is educating the public about what it is that businesses like you guys do and making it a little bit less demonized as you know, oh, that big land developer or mm. that, that big apartment developer. How do we get a little bit more cohesion between mm. businesses that are as important as your, you guys and your end users, your end clients at the end of the day and less transactional? I actually, Corinne, I, even yesterday I heard it on the morning radio in regard, I can't remember what the, what the topic was. It was about... The announcer said something, you know, all those developers will come in and, you know, they'll grab as much profit as they can, you know. And I thought, I just cringe, think we have to educate the community more, I think, in regard to the way it all comes together. We have to, both government and development and community, I think, have a responsibility to take step back and have a bit of a balcony view of the way it all comes together. Through the UDA, we've actually initiating something that we think will work on a community level. We're trying to. We've never got there. We, developer, when we've got a project or whatever, we obviously, particularly in an infill location, will have a very project focus in regard to that particular community and how we advertise it how and you get engage. involved and everything yeah. else. You know, how do we broadcast, if you like, better in regard to... The how do we turn you into the good guys? At the end of the day, we, we don't have Perth without developers. You don't have housing supply. People yeah. won't be able to move here. People can't live here. I'm very proud of the fact that a part of my job is I provide 
either jobs or housing to my community Mm. and on a much larger scale stockland does that too i would have thought that businesses like stockland would be revered for providing all these essential services they are essential services creating communities owning shopping centers all these things someone has to do it and don't forget the the economic benefit of i think in wa it was 130,000 people employed in some way connected to property, directly connected to property. Mm. It's a huge part of our economy. A lot of people move into, with the population into the state, whether it be from overseas or likely, they get involved in property in some way. And I suppose it's educating that wider, that community. For me, a lot of it's about housing choice within existing communities is the one we've got to, we have to overcome. How do we communicate that more relevant to the local community and understand it where it all sits. So where are we going to see Stockland moving into in the next five, ten years? Where will we see your signs up? Obviously, you've got something coming up south of the river soon on an infill basis. Yep. One, can I get, I guess, a bit of a, a direction or commitment from you that we're going to see more of these infill projects for starters? That's the plan, at least, from a company like Stockland. Two, where else are we going to see yeah. new communities popping up on the fringes? Yeah, certainly, we'll continue to focus that, well, the the five parts of Perth in a planning sense are the four diagonal corridors. We'll continue to offer both greenfield and also infill. We'll definitely be in the space in infill in the, in the inner Perth, trying to develop whether it be the built form choice or whether it be the solutions to housing that we mentioned before. Mm. We'll continue to develop those within those communities as well. Cole Dutton, GM of Stockland Residential in Western Australia. Thank you so much for your time. Just like the other big hitters in WA, I know that this will be very well listened to, very well shared. Thank you for sharing your story, for sharing some solutions as well. And again, voicing some pretty similar concerns that a lot of the other big guys in Perth have been Mm. raising about how we can improve our system and deliver more supply in the areas that are needed to a state that is crying out for it. So thank you very much for your time, Colin, and look forward to having you on again sometime in the future. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!